and welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, a Centrelink's podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. However you may have found your way here, thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show, I'm talking to author Claire Wynn all about her great debut, City of Shattered Light, which is described as... As darkness closes in on the city of Shattered Light, an heiress and an outlaw must decide whether to fend for themselves or fight for each other. This video game cyberpunk-inspired story is about as much fun as you're likely going to have this year reading a book. With a pair of very strong leads, a ton of important themes including consequentialism, class warfare, bodily autonomy, and the potential pitfalls of artificial intelligence, City of Shattered Light delivers in just about every way possible. We talk about the road it took to get here, some of the great world-building and themes, City of Shattered Light, of course, and much, much more. While this is a spoiler-free discussion, the odd minor detail may slip out, so if you haven't read the book and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but definitely double back once you've read it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. As always, around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. Just a reminder that October is National Bullying Prevention Awareness Month, so we should all take the approach. If you see something, say something, whether it be online or out in the real world. And while it may be hard, it really could mean a world difference to somebody who is a victim of bullying. And this should be done all year long, of course, not just because the calendar says so. Claire Wynn is a science fiction fantasy author who writes books that are fast-paced, snarky, and driven by fierce, flawed characters. She's a gamer at heart, and since graduating from Northwestern University, Claire has worked as a legal writer, freelance editor, and an editorial intern. On the creative side, she builds props and armor for cosplay and writes storylines for LARP games, in addition to battling with Boffer Swords. She started building cosplay armor to fulfill her dream of becoming a Samusaran, though she has yet to build a functioning plasma cannon. In uh, mid-2017, she launched her cosplay page, Phasm Pixie Cosplay, and her work has since been featured in Cosplay Z Magazine and on sites like GeekX Girls. She's here today to talk about her debut, City of Shattered Light, which is described as... A darkness closes in on the city of shattered light. An heiress and an outlaw must decide whether to fend for themselves or fight for each other. Uh, I read this book in one sitting. It's a fucking lot of fun. I think people are really going to enjoy this, and I'm really glad she's here to talk about it. Please welcome to the show, Claire Wynn. Hi, Claire. Hey, thank you so much for that great intro and the glowing recommendation. Um, well, you probably wrote the intro because <laughs> I just stole it from your website. I know, I, I know. So, yeah. I, I thought um, I would have to like introduce myself awkwardly and then just read off a sheet of paper somewhere but like you read it for me oh no no it's all (laughs) i try and do the heavy lifting here well listen you've been around i know this is your first book i guess technically but you're not new to this world and uh like you're gonna get the same five questions a lot right what's the book about what inspired you to write the book (laughs) so i like I, i try and avoid those if i can that's sort of one of my mandates but uh no, this book is uh, super fun. It's really fucking fun. It's really cool. Uh, I think people are really going to dig it. I think, well, people already are digging it. I mean, if there's already lots of reviews and feedback, right? So yeah. um, before we get to all that and any of that crap, Ola, uh, listen, if they ever cast a live action Castlevania based on the most recent animated series and they're just going on looks alone, you are the living embodiment of Lenore. I've seen, oh my I, God. I saw your picture, your cosplay <laughs> picture. I'm a huge fan of that series. I'm just a big Castlevania nerd. I've been playing it my whole life because uh, I'm old. And uh, I don't know if you can act, but get ready for the call if they ever do live action well, show. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. I did some acting in high school. But oh, there you go. I've been really enjoying the Castlevania series. It's so great, isn't it? Um, I have not played the games, but I did play Metroid. I know that the old school ones are. Yeah. Gameplay. Um, yeah, I've played, played them all. Um, I've, every single one, there's a lot of them. Uh, Symphony of the Night is my favorite. If anyone out there is listening and they want to mm. get into Castlevania, that is my favorite Castlevania game. Uh, it's one of the little older-ish ones, but uh, it's pretty damn great. And uh, it's fucking really cool. Anyways, yeah, you are like her twin. It's amazing. Um, That's great to hear. I have uh, on my screen at work, I've got... Uh, have you seen the latest season, season four? Uh, I'm working on it. I am. I watched like two episodes and then I got distracted by yeah, a yeah. thousand no, other things. No, that's, I'm no, so no, excited. I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> ending so, Rex people. So Sword 2, you have, okay, episode 2 is you haven't gotten to this yet. Anyways, there's a, uh, this isn't really a spoiler, but anyways, on my screen at work, 
um, there's a picture of Striga and she's got, so you're going to, you're going to get to an episode here soon where she wears day armor. Ooh, you, you actually may have even seen it. That's image awesome. Here. Yeah. You may have seen some in it. I'm sure I have somewhere. She puts some, really cool. she puts some day armor on and that's just because like Morana was like threatened in just the smallest way. <laughs> so Striga goes nuts. Right. Cause as she should. Um, anyway, she's got this fucking really cool day armor. Anyways, I got an image of that on my screen at work. And my work is full of idiots. And every time they walk by, they're just like, nah. I'm just like, it's fucking Striga. I get mad. Anyways. Uh, yes. Yeah, so your cosplaying is amazing. I was looking at a few of your pictures there and uh, happened to cross Lenore. I was like, Lenore. And so I wanted to mention that to you. So really, really cool. Um, so yes, debut author. There's a lot going on in your life. Um, I mean, I know you've been told this. There's just no way you haven't at this point, but uh, have you snuck a peek at reviews? Do you, do you care? What do you, what do you do? Um, I, I generally don't read my reviews for my mental health, but I do yeah. have a few friends who will summarize the stuff that people don't enjoy just so I have an idea of what's out there and also send me screenshots of the nice stuff. So yeah, I am, I have been seeing a lot of feedback, which is exciting. Um, one thing I know talked to a lot of authors and early on and they corrected it you know, sort of in the process, in the middle of writing, outlining, editing, whatever. And it's kind of like a, you know, it's sort of like a rookie ish mistake. I mean, when you don't, when you don't know, you don't know. Right. And mm -hmm. a lot of times I've talked to authors where that, like those, those outside voices, those external voices have let it influence them and their story and their story exactly. writing. And they like, just, but it's almost like they're in a trance and they fucking snap out of it. Somebody like slaps them, <laughs> you know, like metaphor, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, maybe physically too. I don't even know. Um, and, uh, and they're like, fuck, what am I doing? And then they just, they're like, they sit down and read and they're like, this isn't the story. This isn't my story. This is, I'm letting somebody influence this. So they start over. So. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it was, it was really important to me that, um, and my sequel is currently an option book for City of Shattered Light. And it's going to depend on like first book sales and it's yep. going to get pitched. But it was important to me that I have the sequel at least finished before the arcs for the first book went out. So I was scrambling all this winter to get that done because I was like, I know as soon as those opinions get out there, the book's not really going to be mine anymore. And I really want to make sure that this is in line with my vision. And there is, there has been a bit of feedback that I have been thinking about as I draft the second, or as I revise the second book. But I am really happy that I was able to just get that done. Before yeah, yeah, and that's an came. Right. And that's like, I mean, you've heard that, like, you know, writing is editing, right? You've heard that a million mm -hmm. times. And, and to me, that's, you know, art is process. Um, to your point, once it's a book, like, I've got your arc. I mean, I can throw it out, right? I can burn it. <laughs> I can do whatever I can do whatever I want with it, right? But yeah. what I can't do, a fact or take away from you is the fucking hours you spent writing this book, coming up with this, these characters, crying, laughing, anger, whatever, right? All those wonderful yeah. emotions that writers experience when they're writing their beautiful stories. Can't take that away from you. And that's the important stuff. So yeah, it's, you know, you can't let, you know, you're the storyteller. You can't let people tell your story. Only you can, right? So it sounds like you've mm -hmm. already figured that out. So that's good. Well, that's good. Maybe not. <laughs> to some no, degree. to some degree. It, yeah. Well, it's still, I've been feeling a lot of pressure in working on my future books. And it, I think that ever since I signed with my agent, there's been this sense of perpetual stage fright where it's like, okay, what do I do next? It has to be better than the first thing. I have to be mm. constantly growing as a writer and I'm not allowed to write anything that's not amazing. So that has been a lot of pressure in working on new stuff. But for, for the sequel to City of Shattered Light, drafting that, it was a different experience. It was really refreshing because I told myself, this might never get published. This might only be something that I ever see. And that kind of clicked something in my brain. So that was nice. You're, just, right, you, you're writing the story that you yourself want to read. Yes. Is, that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah, like you must, do you have like a tight circle of friends or like beta readers, people you trust? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right for them, right for you, right for them. Don't worry about fucking me. Some, you know, I'm up in Canada, some idiot. In Canada. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? Like, don't do it for me. Do it for you. Yeah. Do it for you and your friends. And that'll show in the work. Right. How could it not? That's what I hope so. Yeah. So, well, yeah, let's, well, everyone out there buy this book so we can get that sequel. Now I'm excited. Um, <laughs> so are you normally, are you like that with your, with your other artistic stuff too, that, you know, putting that pressure on yourself or was it just, was it just writing? Um, writing is, um, it's the only one of my 
artistic endeavors that I've ever tried to really commercialize, I guess. Cosplay has always just been something that I do for fun to go to conventions. Like I want to make this costume, but I also want to connect with people who might appreciate it more than like my friends and family on Facebook. So that was why I made some public cosplay pages a few years ago. My Samus costume is like, it's not perfect because it's, I'd like to remake it someday, but it did really take off on social media and a few places ended up being interested in interviewing me and like putting it on their websites. So that was fun, but it was never something that I really set out to be consistent with. And I know that if I were feeling the pressure to cosplay characters that other people liked, it becomes a lot more difficult for me to enjoy the process and enjoy dressing up at all, I guess. So writing is hard because there's the push pull of I'm really passionate about the story I really want to tell it but I also am acutely aware that I am going to be pitching it to a very fickle and very competitive market so it's it's more difficult in that way I think right and it's cosplay you know especially you get that instant like reaction that feedback yes exactly right it's instant with books you don't know they can be out there and out there and and the thing is you won't know how many books you sold for a while until you get a check (laughs) and that takes months (laughs) you know you have no idea of how many people bought it i mean you'll see hopefully uh some orange banners on amazon or something or these other places right but um yeah it's really weird because you don't even of course you're getting you can get feedback if you ask for it but yeah no cosplay is instant right especially when you're out at conventions and have, have you started going to conventions again yet or no um, I have not been to one since 2019, yeah. which is a bummer. Are you, uh, are you excited? To, are, what are you more, are you more excited to get back or nervous? What's the dominant feeling? Um, combo of both. I think that, yeah. well, Yomacon is fairly close to me and that is crap. That's the end of this month. Oh my God. How did this year fly so fast? I know it's, I've um, got my Toronto one coming up <laughs> in, two, my, in two weeks for like, uh, Toronto's weird. Cause uh, Comic-Con is actually not the biggest one. We have fan expo, which is the biggest one. Oh, nice. yeah, yeah. 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 And, and it's massive, but uh, it's, it's obviously had to be scaled down this year, but uh, mm-hmm. so well, sorry, which one, where, what city are you in? Um, I am close to Ann Arbor. So Ann Arbor, okay. is out in Detroit. Okay. And then, yeah, Toronto is not super far from there either. I would love to attend a con there someday. But it's just, um, I guess there is just a push-pull of, I really need to get back. And I know I would really enjoy being there. But something about, like, the, I know that there's always, being out in public now, there's just this sense of something muted. There's an anxiety underneath everything. And I think that would dampen some of my convention experience. So, that's called dread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. There's That's called words fever. that I can't put together um, today. Here's, yeah, see, here's the thing. So I'm rarely happier in life than on a convention floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I fucking just love the energy. I love the emotion. Like I get, I have a weird fetish where I just love seeing standing off to the side and seeing people meet their heroes or their, their, what you know, so or, or their inspirations. Like, I don't want to meet anybody. I don't, I don't care about meeting people like celebrity wise or authors or whoever, um, you know, if I have a good relationship with an author, of course, I'll go say hi, but I, I just sit back and watch that exchange of energy and emotion of people telling mm-hmm. authors, you know, how great they are and how much their book has changed their life in this way or that way. And authors deserve it. Cause I love authors. I mean, not the shitty ones that like the Nazi authors or <laughs> whatever, but you know, the good people like you, you know what I mean? I want, so, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm a little, I don't think I'm ready. To, I'm not going to go to the one in two weeks. And, uh, I th- I just, I'm with you. I'm not feeling until I'm like, I know when it's time, right. I'll be like, okay, I'm ready mm-hmm. because yeah, it's like my church in a way, you know what I mean? So if it's, if everything, and now I just read a headline about pedophiles, <laughs> thousands of pedophiles. In a yeah. church. So I, maybe that's not the right word to use, but uh, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say? Anyways, I'm, I'm, it's just my favorite place. And until it's like dread free, I think I'm just, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. yeah, I would like to go for just like one day or to stick to the more open areas just to walk around and cosplay and say mm-hmm. hi to people and like the energy is still there. I just don't know if I could hang out in a cramped ballroom with a few hundred other people at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's I, I don't know what your numbers are like where you are locally, but you know our num- and we're I'm, our numbers are okay actually, but it's still mm-hmm. just it's just yeah, it's weird. I know it's gonna it's gonna fucking take some work for me getting back into the full yeah. swing into the swing of things, but uh, I'm confident we'll get there one day. And and actually, I love going down to uh, I actually don't live in Toronto. I I just say Toronto for people that don't know Canada. I, I live outside of Toronto a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually closer to. We, I actually end up usually go to Detroit a lot uh, for concerts mm-hmm. and stuff. So I'm in, I'm in Michigan quite a bit, actually. But uh, Detroit's uh, a good area. I love it. I know I a lot of people are like, oh, Detroit, it's so dangerous. But there's all no, no. great arts and culture. Oh, downtown. are you kidding me? Like, the, what is it? The West mm-hmm. End Market there? And yeah. Uh, um, St. Andrew's Hall is one of my favorite concert venues. And uh, I love it. No, I'm always going to go. I'm always having a good time in Detroit. Um, so talk. let's talk a little bit about... Uh, process here of getting getting this book uh picked up I'm curious what your path was like you know sort of the out when you outlined it uh queried it picked somebody picked it up if it got, how many times it got turned down if it got turned down at all i don't know like you know what i mean take us through that journey. yeah yeah um yeah. okay so the first book i ever wrote was a it was a young adult fantasy book and that was something I started at the end of college. I didn't really know for sure whether I wanted to pursue traditional publishing. I just knew that I had story ideas and they wouldn't leave me alone. So I wrote them. I got really amazing feedback from friends and beta readers. And eventually I was like, okay, I'm going to go for it. But I didn't really know anything about the, the market itself and what was on trend and what it looked like. So I was like, okay, I will, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to query some agents. And I got a pretty decent request rate with that one. I ended up sending out probably about 100 queries, but it really didn't go anywhere. And so my objective was like, all right, I'll just put this aside. And maybe if I get an agent to the future, then that agent can pick this book up and we'll do great things with it. So it was about the tail end of querying that one that I got some more ideas and I had been toying around with other fantasy stories, but they just weren't clicking partially because I felt like they were stepping on the toes of my plans for that other book and the potential sequels. So I was like, what if I just did sci-fi? And I had these other, I had all these ideas that just started coalescing. And one of them was this vision of a girl who was on the run, hiding her identity and she had this alien heart in her backpack and she was on a transit ship. And I was like, how did she get there? I want to tell her story. And that was originally the beginning of the book. And it was not the best starting point because there was so much setup required, but it started there. Um, Riven was Lady Doc Holiday in space. And then I was also thinking a lot about IoT technology and how every device now is going to be online and how, how much more potential there is for super hackers to just wreak havoc. And like, what, you, what can you do if you could control and manipulate any device where you could manipulate the pixels on someone's screen. So I was thinking a bit about that and the plot came later once I had thought about character arcs and how to string everything together. So I wrote that book. I um, I pitched it a little bit at a writer's conference and then I dipped my toes into the Twitter pitch pool for it and it's really tiny pitch contest. I got one agent like with the agent who would later after much struggle become my agent. <laughs> So the first time I pitched it in a Twitter pitch, it got a heart from Courtney. And I sent her the full with some other queries with other agents. And she, oh no, I I sent her the query and she requested the full like 18 hours later. And then nine days later, she was like, I really like this, but I think it needs to start earlier. And I want you to consider making these other changes too. So it was a revise and resubmit where they give you the opportunity to go through and make some big changes and then enthusiastically they'll look at it again. So I was getting rejections from other agents in that round. and Some of them were saying, I don't think there's enough tension at the beginning. I feel like there's too much happening. It's not starting in the right place. So I thought Courtney's right. So I spent about four months digging in, revising the hell out of it. And about a month later when her agency opened back up, I got an email that said she wanted to call me. I had two other agents offer after that too, but I decided to sign with Courtney just because she clearly knew what my story needed. She was passionate about it. And from there on, we took on submission. 
now yeah. we're talking now you're talking to me isn't that see everything's coming true yeah. uh, <laughs> i know there's a bit more of the vision process but i've already babbled too much about this so right yeah yeah it's oh, it's it's a, it's a process isn't it it's it's, yeah, it's, it's, it it's, a, it's a real frigging grind and mm-hmm. you know like uh, people there are victims <laughs> there are many victims of the grind over the years right and not everybody makes it through and it's it, a lot of it depends on how you handle rejection how you handle mm-hmm. crit- critical you know critical advice and yada yada and again getting it getting the right material the right manuscript in front of the right person is so important as well oh right? yeah so the timing like, too yeah like you know finding someone that believes in it is so important and uh you hear this all the time people giving advice on agents and stuff like that it's so crucial that you have somebody that you connect with that believes in you and believes in the story mm-hmm. and uh it sounds like that definitely was uh was a big part of it mm-hmm. um so you went to northwestern and and you know you've been a legal writer freelance editor and editorial intern so yeah sounds like writing publishing is was the plan all along it was not um i i actually went to school for my undergrad thinking that i was just going to law school and that i could major in whatever i wanted and everything would be fine and then i was studying abroad in london my senior year and i met up with my former boss who had worked at the German department at Northwestern. And we had a few beers at a pub in London. And she was there with a friend of hers who had just gotten a really big partnership at a law firm. And they were both telling me like, you know, law school is not all it's cracked up to be. And you need to follow your dreams. And I took it to heart for some reason. I was already feeling <laughs> kind of iffy about my prospects for jobs. So I... I ended up getting a job doing legal writing and then I started focusing a little bit on publishing because I knew that I really enjoyed telling stories, but I just wasn't sure how to go about getting on a creative team of some kind or working in um, telling stories via other media. But I knew that I could write a book and that was something that I could do by myself. So I just started on that path. It's a, Life is funny that way, yeah. isn't it? I mean, what what happens if you don't go to London, right? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Well, um, it's such a fucking weird thing, right? This whole idea of uh, what do they call it? Uh, uh, I'm gonna fuck it up. I won't even bother. Uh, it's it's got a nice word <laughs> that they call it, but uh, yeah, it's such a funny thing. Do you ever think about that at all, or if you had a, you know? Uh, are you the type of person that sort of looks back on things like that? If I had to turn left instead of right or. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure. Cause I think that in some way creativity has just been in my blood and I kind yeah. of would have found my way into this sphere in some way or another. That's I kind right. of wish that I had known a little bit earlier that I wanted to do this so that I could direct my college years toward it a little bit more effectively. But other than that, who knows? Right. It's that interesting. It's sort of that foundation cycle history principle too. Like where mm-hmm. you, I've heard people talk about math this way too. Um, they, you know, did humans cr- invent math or it was math inevitable, right? Because right. The, because the universe is math. Everything is math, right? So it's kind of an interest, interesting way to look at it. So was, uh, you know, did Claire become a writer or did writer cho- writing choose Claire? I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out maybe in 10 years and see if you're still writing or not. Yeah. Uh, or if you, or, or if you went back to law. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, technically I'm still kind of doing both. So. Okay. Right. Yeah. You still got a day job. Is that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. I don't want to let that go for a while. Well, it's, you know, health, health, uh, health insurance, right. I know it's a huge, huge thing in the States. Um, so yeah. Many, and I think that tough to walk away from. Yeah. And just having another career and another source of income. Yes. Yeah. It frees me up creatively too, because then the pressure isn't on. Stress, Plus publishing right? is so, publishing so fickle. It's Very like, much am so. I ever going to publish another book? I don't even know. I Who knows? Write more. Right. And advances aren't. And like, that's the thing people are like, oh, they yeah. got a big advance. I'm like, yeah, but that has to last three years <laughs> right? Exactly. Or, or whatever. So um, it, uh, it's an interesting spot to be in. And I just, uh, I was just talking to another author, uh, June Sealton, about Jade Fire Gold comes out next week. And, oh, yeah. And holy fuck, that book is good. And she's amazing. Um, and I know your friend, too, Rebecca, it comes out next week as well. Um, and, of course, we're talking uh, Throne Breakers comes out next week. So everyone pick up that as well. Um, 
Yeah. You know, which I was talking to June because she was uh, in finance and then quit her day job. And she really thought it's really it's a privileged position to be able to do that, you know, because she had mm-hmm. some some support, you know, otherwise that she was able to do that. And it is tough, isn't it? Like it's tough to walk away from a steady paycheck and and health insurance and all these things. And, you know, anytime they talk about anytime someone's having an argument or debate or just having a discussion about like UBI, universal basic income. One of the big theories is the health aspects of it, because when anytime you ask most people what their number one stress in life is, it's money. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's such a huge stressor and stress kills people literally. Right. So. mm -hmm. And I think so many studies about UBI have shown that it really does help people be more productive just by giving them that baseline and security. Um, More productive, much uh, healthier mentally of course of course for sure which is which is massive and i'm you know so happy it's in the discussion now more than ever um but just physically too like it just has just such a great impact i'm I'm a big i'm I'm a big supporter of it we've tried it in a couple of cities up in canada and it's worked really well but you know our governments don't like that because our governments are fucking assholes um (laughs) politics politics um so god damn it this summary so long claire no, um, I know. You don't have to read the whole thing. I don't, but I don't like asking you what the book's about. So, I mean, okay. You, the, you, the publisher's weekly announcement said it was like a queer female led Guardians of the Galaxy Youth Escape from New York. I got away with using an 80s movie as a comic. Exactly. That's amazing. Escape. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I am old. So that it's just like, it sings to me. Um, that's perfect. Yeah. It is really long. Uh, well, but it's, it's a, we'll, we'll sort of treat the summary. We'll data mine it for some good things okay. to talk about it because of course, anything in the summary is fair game, but uh, um, I guess let's just start with sort of like, it, it's obviously got like a really nice, I know you're, you know, uh, self-described gamer. I'm not accusing you of being a, a phony, but uh, um this and this book clearly has a lot of video game aesthetic, cyberpunk aesthetic. Uh, mm-hmm. It just and that's one of the reasons why I love it. That's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people will like it because that stuff just like it, you know it just it, part of us now, isn't it? So, you know, that's those two aesthetics in particular are such are such like they're just part of the culture now in a way that they weren't for a long time and. It's, I don't know if it's, if it's chemical, you know, with our brains or whatever, but like those types of this type of thing, like the, um, uh, Requiem, you know, just the way you describe it in great detail, beautiful detail, by the way, that, you know, that wonderful aesthetic or just, it just feels like, you know, such endorphin sort of tainted, uh, colors and sounds and you know what I mean? So, yeah. And I uh, think that those aesthetics are becoming more and more relevant, especially because, um, well, one gaming's becoming more mainstream and more yeah. accessible. We have stuff like VR and two, I think that we are hurtling more toward the cyberpunk future. We have yep. brain tech interfaces and development. We had a study come out today that said that they effectively cured a woman of depression with like a brain implant that would interrupt saw, some of certain signals. I saw that. Yeah. 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 It's nuts. Isn't that wild? Um, that's one of the things I want to talk about actually is some of the, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it now. So, uh, <laughs> so there's a, I think there's three or four, like really, really, really big themes in this book for me anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, Probably maybe the most important one, I think, for me anyways, is uh, consequentialism is to me is a really big theme in this book. Um, class warfare, for sure. The pitfalls of AI, obviously. And bodily autonomy is huge in this book, isn't it? Um, but since yeah, we just sort of talked about, since we talked about AI, let's, let's just jump on that a little bit and then we'll get into augmentation. But, you know, how are you with, because I'm a, I'm a fucking AI fanatic. Like I am... I'm not a doomsday person. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think it's Terminator. This, you know, people are worried about the singularity and letting the beast out of the cage type of thing. What's your, what's your thoughts on AI? Are you, you think we're headed, you know, down the wrong path or do you think you've got the right people in charge? I think that's a really difficult to say. I think that there are a lot of really important applications for AI that people are coming out with. We have so much, there's so much potential in deep learning for like healthcare and discovering like certain molecular mechanisms behind cancers and stuff that humans would not be able to detect otherwise that these machines can just pick up on. And that's going to speed up so many different aspects of like healthcare and 
pretty much every field can be revolutionized by AI, but it's hard to say where we're at as far as something that mimics a human. Oh no, we're no, no, no. We don't even understand consciousness. We're we're nowhere near that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. No, no, no. At some point, um, it's... yeah. And see, the, here's the thing. Like, there's yeah. It, you're right. You really you brought up a really important point there because you know these the deep mind groups and all these biggest Googles and all these people. That, and I'm talking about in a commercially viable way. I don't mean the secret shit that we know the military's got that we're not allowed to see yet. <laughs> um, but like the commercial viable stuff is all most of it. The biggest most advanced AI systems are all in health healthcare right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, yeah, you're right. The stuff that the advances we're making in healthcare alone is, is makes it worth going down that path, whether you're, you know, worried about, like I said, a Terminator situation or whatever. Right. But it makes it worth it alone. And, and uh, I'm not a, a doomsday prepper guy. I, I think, uh, you know, I think there's enough people in, around to make sure that the, there's enough protocol in place. Um, yeah, we're not even close to that point right now. No, this this idea that an intern is going to forget to unplug the machine from the internet. And by the time they come back the next morning, it's too late, right? <laughs> you know, it's um, <laughs> it's fun. On Reddit. That, yeah, right? Like it's the idea that if we plug a machine into the internet without any any parameters, then we're screwed. But nah, it's just, that's just not a thing. But uh, um it's, uh, you know, that's a product of film, right? We all watch too many movies and, and things like this. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there is some really great conversations, certainly about um, what what this will look like exactly. And it's not going to be these, like, humanoid robots. It's going to be just augmentation, body, human augmentation mm-hmm. is what's, is, I believe, is what's going to happen. Um, you focus a lot of that in this book. Mm-hmm. Some I think of it's pretty, it's, very much a staple of cyberpunk. I'm also yeah. kind of on the fence as to whether, like, how willing are people going to be? To- well, right. This is one of the sort of one of the big things yeah. in your book, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, listen, we're already doing that, yeah. right? I mean, uh, to me, iPhones are augmentation because it's either fucking in your hand, in your pocket. Like we, they even make cord, charging cords longer so you can have, so it's closer to you, right? Like yeah, yeah, it's like, you're, we're essentially already augmented with just phones, but now we do actually in real life have all these great, wonderful things that we're doing, um, you know, medically to augment our bodies. And again, the shit they're doing to military and soldiers, I don't even want to know about, but, um, mm-hmm. but this of course, yeah, brings up choice, right? Free will. Um, talk about that, how you want to approach that in your book, because we, we won't say sort of who and how and, and how and what necessarily, but uh, fuck, that's a big, that's just, that's always it is a really, really big topic. It's, um, it's, it's always relevant too, right? Not yeah, like, is, even right is. now, not just because of vaccine mandates and stuff like this, but like you look what's going on in Texas with the abortion laws. And, oh God. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's always going to, as long as there's humans, it's always going to be a relevant, you know, topic mm-hmm. of discussion, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, Oh, I just had an idea and it slipped away. <laughs> Give me a second. It's all right. I mean, it's where are we here? Let's uh separate another side of the previous morning. It'll do anything to save her sister from, from reprogramming, including fingers. So yeah, like you do sort of like, yeah, I mean the, the summary gives it a little bit away. So I mean Ace's sister. Um, oh yeah. Um I think that one thing that's really important to think about, and one thing that was kind of on my mind in writing this was how how much control that AI and technology is giving to the corporations that own it and control it. Because mm-hmm. They have all these, like our privacy is in their hands. And the more that we make their products a part of us, the more that we essentially augment ourselves with our iPhones and whatever other technologies we carry with us, the more that we, the more that they become part of us. And mm-hmm. I don't think that our laws have really kept up very well, especially in the US, like UK, they have GDPR, they have all those privacy standards. And I don't think that we're going to pass something like that in the US because it really, I think it limits a lot of what, it limits a lot of the power that our tech corporations have. And that's right. We have a lot of, we have so much more unregulated or not incredibly regulated power in the hands of people who are owning all this technological advancement. And that's, Kind of a scary prospect right now. Well, it's, you know, today I don't know if you were watching any of the Facebook uh, stuff, and uh, uh, you know, not really. Sort yeah. Of. So 
you, you heard about it though, right? How there's a whistleblower and she's yeah, yeah. like to the surprise of really not many people, <laughs> Facebook has mm-hmm. been, you know, like using, using software and algorithms to data mind and control people's minds and thoughts when it comes to, you know, ba- just basic decision-making and pushes them in a direction yeah. that, that ultimately is really fucking bad for people in particular, teenage girls. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've talking to someone today about it. Uh, somebody my age and she was like yeah i mean she goes i remember reading 17 magazine 20 something years ago and it did a number on me imagine now like you just you, you don't fuck yeah, when they know about you personally they don't stand a chance you know, these kids yeah. don't stand a chance right so yeah it's it's an un- unbelievably scary thing and and yeah you deal you really deal with this head on it's it's i mean it's almost the plot of the book essentially isn't it that this this mm-hmm. idea of autonomy and and uh free will right um so yeah, uh, her sister Kaya. Let's let's start actually with because uh, um, people won't know what the fuck we're talking about. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, who is Luca Almeida? Did I say his la- the last name right? Because it's an important uh, name. Almeida. Yeah, Almeida, that's uh, yeah. Asa and Kaya's father. Yeah, tech mogul. And, right, and what is Almeida? Elmi. It's a uh, it's their um, company. It's, it's a company that focuses on brain tech interfaces and some military technologies and Asa's father uses her sister as a test subject. And I'm not going to go into too much detail. No, no, that's probably good enough there, but uh, (laughs) it's, yeah. So Meta Industries is, is uh, you were being sort of flowery there a little bit, but it's a fucking shitty evil corporation (laughs) that does some pretty, that does scary shit. And there's this thing called project winter dark, which I mean, I won't say exactly what it is, but when you read about it, you're going to be like, yeah, that's, that's really fucking shady. Um, So, you know, a lot of, so her motive, so her sister gets caught up in this and through no choice of her choice of her own gets put into this, this position where she has fucking everything taken away from her, right? Her freedoms, her choices, her Pretty ability, much. her ability to choose everything that we take for granted is taken away from her. Um, Asia is able to sort of uh, to grab her, her remaining essence. And this whole thing is to try and help her sister if she can in some way, which she's not even totally sure that she can. So she goes on this mm-hmm. crazy, crazy adventure and meets all sorts of interesting people. Um one of the other things I love about this book, and it's one of the big themes I thought was consequentialism. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm actually a consequentialist. So uh, for people out there that don't really know what that means, uh, that means an action is neither good or bad until we know the end result. So mm-hmm. uh, stealing a loaf of bread to feed your starving family. Steal, right. Most people think stealing is wrong. Um, if you're stealing a loaf of bread to feed your family, I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a nice, easy example, a morally, you know, easy one to answer. Right. There are like, we could gum people up with much trickier ones. I know a popular one is, you know, if you go back in time and kill Hitler, would you? Uh, right. That's of course, assuming that it wouldn't have happened anyways, but um, there's a lot of that in this book because these, there's nobody like uh, there's nobody with a clean conscience in this, in your books in this book is there like and, and not just there's no like no, not to say they're good or bad but just everyone's right. doing doing what what they can with what they've got in the world in which they exist um, yeah a lot of them and, are survivors that's right and it's kind of a fucked up place isn't it so like give me so this will help people understand this a bit better if you maybe set up um uh, requiem for us a little bit because it's an interesting place and if you could talk about sort of you know even like the the how the syndicates work Okay, so um, I actually, I'm trying to think of like what parts are in book one versus book two because I delved a little bit more in book two. <laughs> it's all actually, a big blur now. Like, ah, <laughs> I've been working on book two more recently. Yeah. So um, Requiem is, it was a mining colony in the Alpha Centauri system on the moon that orbits the first planet and first and only so far planet that humans have terraformed for their use. And that planet called Cortalion is, it was founded by people who were of means and were able to leave behind Earth, which is fairly polluted and overpopulated by now. But Requiem was also a bit of a tourist trap once people had gotten the means to travel between star systems via this new technology. And eventually conditions out in the mining areas became so dire that there was a revolution and they managed to oust control of the corporations and form their own 
little outlaw paradise. And so now it is ruled by matriarchal crime syndicates and the tradition being that the lieutenants who were able to overthrow their oppressors were all female as well. Mm -hmm. So it is a, it's very morally gray because the people who run it are survivors and they're capable and they're competent, but they are also occasionally ruthless. So that was fun to explore. It's sort of like a thieves den mentality. Like it's so they're they're left to govern themselves for the most part. Like there's this, there's the Federation, which is sort of like the over the bigger, whatever. Um, But, you know, everyone, you know, was on record, you know, with, like you said, with these crime syndicates, there's five of them led by matriarchs. Um, They're all, they're left, the the inmates are left to run the prison in a weird way, isn't it? And, Mm -hmm. but, but because again, it has sort of like this thieves den mentality where like, there is a code, isn't there? Like there's a, there's a, there's an honor system in a way, like there's certain rules you're not allowed to break <laughs> and almost, you know, mm-hmm. for so many rules, for so many things that are fair game, there are some rules that you're not allowed to break. Um, and so now, you know, we understand all of this. We understand the characters. So now Asa is thrust into this world. She's comes from high class money, nothing really to worry about. Very little stress in her life has everything she could ever wanted is, is popular, you know, is on magazines and whatnot. And it's sort of a celebrity because yeah, her dad is this big mogul. And now she's thrust into this world where uh, even though she sort of has to like keep some of that a secret, cause that wouldn't play well in certain circles. It also doesn't do her any good. Right. It wouldn't do her any good. If anything, it would cause nothing. It would cause harm mm-hmm. and damage. So she's left to rely on her wit, her skills, inner intuition basically and this this makes her a really fucking cool person and you know anytime somebody's thrown into this situation it's whatever pick your idiom fight or flight you know what i mean like yeah some people shrink some people bloom whatever you know whatever the thing you want to use is um and i love these what my favorite word in the english language is courage i love people i love people that have gall even though it's a really fucked up thing she's got the gall to just go to walk forward she doesn't shrink and i love that um you know i was i would ask you to describe her what i just did um (laughs) so but again anyway this all sets up like i said this consequentialism idea where are you on that type of type of stuff because a lot of these characters in in this book on record in particular like it's it's like you you kind of said it morally gray yeah um I guess I don't really, in some ways, yes, I would say that I subscribe to that mentality because I don't consider myself as having like one exact set of moral codes, like stealing is wrong versus this and that. But I would say that absolutely there's exceptions to every rule. I would say that in the story, yeah, there are unintended consequences to some actions, like obviously Asa thought that she was doing good work with her father's corporation, but it ended up having more consequences than she intended. And just a really practical way to tell a story too, right? Because Asa is like, like you're your fish out of water mm-hmm. and she's going to witness things that like are, are disturbing or violent, you know, things she's not used to seeing. And as the story moves on, she understands that there's context to every situation. And, you know, she's able to sort of slowly piece that together and understand kill or be killed, you know, for lack of a better way to put it. But, you know, it's, it's, you understand that some, sometimes certain things, some certain actions are necessary. Um, Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's right. So her, her guru through all of this is Riven. Who's Riven? Riven is a smuggler on Requiem who has lived there for a few years. She is a pretty well-known gunslinger. She leads a small crew and she is the one who kidnaps Asa knowing that she has a bounty but without knowing exactly who Asa is. So she is Asa's kidnapper and then her friend, sort of mentor and eventually the person who kisses her. For lack of a better word, <laughs> eventually, eventually, is an excellent choice for it. There. <laughs> um, I trust me. I'm, and I'm sure there'll be other people that tell you this, but 
I mean, I don't know how many times I just yelled, just fucking kiss her already. Um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> that's right. Um, it, there is, there's a really great uh, bisexual love triangle thing in this book. And uh, Ty is another character who's sort of in the mix. And yeah, so yeah, like Riven has this already established career, so to speak, and a, and a great team, um, Samir and Ty and Diego, you know, comes in a couple pages later. Um Talk about sort of building this team, rounding them out, because they are all they all because when you do this and you're going all in on this this sort of team motif, you can't really underdevelop them, can you? Because they're always on page for the most part. So you can't have right like that's 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 a that's not easy to do. Yeah, it's it's one reason why I just love writing ensemble casts is because every scene every crew member has their own role to play and they all interact with each other in such interesting ways. And so when you have an action packed like heist stories, every character gets a chance to shine. They all get a chance to be thrown into sticky situations that are unexpected and develop their character in unexpected ways. And I really love writing ensembles for that reason. Do you, uh, any character in particular that you sort of maybe are more attached to than the others or? Oh boy. I mean, I love Austin Riven a lot. I, yeah. as the POV characters, I definitely got into their shoes a lot more. And, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the correct answer should always be your lead characters, right? But, <laughs> well, yeah. but, but, but you can't help it sometimes, you know, I don't, and to actually answer this question for me, because I've talked about people so many times with ensembles and stuff like this and where like some characters didn't start out with as much, uh, as much dialogue or as much page space as they ended up with, because the, the author hmm. just ended up falling in love with them as they right. wrote them so they ended up just giving them more to do did that was that a case with any of them or um i'll tell you who uh, morfit's my favorite character in the book okay see morfit has gotten a lot of love which is interesting i i yeah. would say that she i liked her a lot more than i expected to and i wrote more of her in the sequel which i still shouldn't be talking about <laughs> yeah i she was interesting because i think she was the only character who really didn't change much from the first draft. Like she was there on the page, that exact personality. I knew who she was yeah. from the very start, whereas the other ones took a lot more development to get to where they are. I mean, Morphe's just that classic. Uh, we keep saying, you know, I don't, how many times can we say morally gray this episode? Uh, <laughs> right. But just that, that complicated, you know, just swashbuckling sort of, Han Solo ish, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, like Rogue. Uh, like I mean, yeah, Ribbon's like very much her. Ribbon's very much like that as well, for sure. But yeah, mm-hmm. more we all like you know. Again, I don't want to use the word bad, bad person because they're like in this world, there's no good or bad. You're just you just you, and you're trying to do the best you can. But Morpheus yeah. Morpheus Morpheus Slate is another bounty is a bounty hunter trying to make her way through life like everybody else. Um, Pretty much. And we just, what's like, interesting too is that um, someone pointed out that Morpheus is very much a slightly more morally gray version of Riven, if that makes sense. Yeah, she is yeah. Riven without a crew. She's Riven who's just completely on her own, right. doing her own thing, being and a badass, but and that's, it's and that's, not that's, always good because she's a little bit crueler. Which makes sense when you are depending on just yourself. Yeah, exactly. And that'd be interesting too, if, if I don't know if in book two, if you... I mean, you've already let it slip that she's in it. So it's fair game. It's fair game now. But uh, if, uh, you know, I'm not not asking you this looking for an answer, Mm -hmm. but, you know, if you get explore her, why she's alone and maybe there's a reason why she's alone. And Mm -hmm. because that's a great, that's a really great thing too, actually you do with, uh, you know, not every character gets a full fleshed out backstory. You just don't have time, but you know, there are, you do some really great backstories for, uh, for Riven and, and, you know, we, we, we learn a lot. We learn a lot about Riven in particular, for sure. Why she's the way she is, right. Why she, Mm -hmm. she acts the way she acts, why she does, you know, does, does the things she does. And that's, you know, it's, that's a tricky thing to do too. But, and so with somebody like Morphid, it's an interesting proposition because sometimes with certain types of, again, I'll just say villain for lack of a better word, antagonist, Mm -hmm. It's like the less you know, the better. Like you want to keep that mystery, just because then it 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 it's gives the reader a little bit more room to to look to love them, to come up with our own backstory that fits our image of of why Morph it's a little bit edgier than the others. Let's say right. So it's it's yeah. a, it's a delicate process, and it's a it's a you know it's it's a, it's a process. It's a backstory you have to respect as the author too, right? So. 
you know, but it's your character. So you get to do whatever you want. It's wonderful. Um, much. Yeah. So Morphet's really cool. So yeah, we have, so it's here, we have this story where we have this team and they've, they've, you know, it's, it's one of these also great situations, which we've seen before where they enter into something that ends up being much bigger than they thought. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, you know, a, a lot of things go wrong and they end up running into somebody, uh, one of my other favorite characters, Duchess Rayella. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Duchess. Who, first of all, who, what is a Duchess in your in your story? So Duchess is like the head honcho matriarch of Requiem, and there's a lot of infighting to get where she is. And I wanted to portray her not as someone who's just a straight up bruiser like the first matriarch, but she's very she's very calculated. She's very elegant and she is very much in accordance with the codes that govern the city. Like she's interested in maintaining order, but under her rules. She's very smart, isn't she? Mm-hmm. And that it's a good point you just made there about in this world that you've set up for these different matriarchs and the Duchess and even our characters. Um, tough's not going to do it, is it? Not always. Right. And you got to have, you got to have maybe a little bit of both or a lot, or a lot of both if you're lucky, I guess. But um, that's one of the things I really loved about uh, Duchess and then your, and your leads is uh, of course, you know, emotion sometimes takes over and you make decisions you might regret later on. But um, I think, I think you really found this really sweet spot with them about you show the tough, but tender um you know, brutes, but, but intelligent at the same time. And I really like this idea that female characters can be fucking more than one thing. Right. Like, cause, cause for, way yeah, too, for, for way too long, we've been fed this bullshit that they're like, they have to be like binary, this one, like one, this, this or that. Right. Like, yeah, it was, always, like, it was I'm just tired of seeing male characters who are either just like, killing machines with no personality because someone feels the need to brook every single stereotype. Right. And then also, of course, there's the other end where there's just like the simple love interest. And I think that one reason it was really important to me to have a variety of so many women in this book that have different talents and abilities is because I think that that really frees up your main characters to be more flawed and realistic and interesting people. Like, I don't think that I could have written a character like Riven if she were the only female character in the cast, because then once you have like one female character, then it's like they're representing their entire gender. Anything they do is therefore seen as gendered. And I think that by spreading out more, it's like, oh no, you have female characters who are kicking ass in all these other different ways. That is, it's a lot of fun to write. And it's, it's great. I like it. Right. And it also provides a really great opportunity to have situations where you have people like Luca who, you know, and I don't think it was by accident, think that just because <laughs> right, they, they have a, a penis or just because they were born a man, they get to call the shots. Hmm. Oh, like over somebody else's body, what somebody yeah. else does with their own body. And there's a, there's a, there's a really great, nah, I can't even talk about it. There's a really great sequence. <laughs> um, anyways, really, really cool. I really, really love that part of it. Um, just great representation as far as that goes. And it, it wasn't, it's not, does not feel fucking at all performative or any bullshit like that. Like it just feels natural in a way that where you're like, yeah, this is how it should be. This is how it always should have been. This is great. Give me more of this. <laughs> right. Right. It's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, so is that this, what, you know, what, what sort of stuff did you read growing up where you thought, you enjoyed it, but you're like, this is problematic. Um, what were your influences? Maybe is a better way to put it, like sci- sci-fi wise. Oh, sci-fi wise. Oh my goodness. And that can be doesn't have to be I'm trying to think on that could, be, could be. I know anything, that yeah. when I was just starting to get into sci-fi and fantasy, I was watching a lot of anime, and yeah. of course, in a lot of those, you have the token girl character. And there's just some some anime are extremely 
over-sexualizing as far as their female characters, even when they are supposed to be like the big badass of the team. It's just oh, like, oh, well, boobs everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, it. they have all genres and categories on it, right? So <laughs> they have, like, they don't even shy away from it. It's like, it's a thing. Yeah. 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 And I do remember when I was in, when I was in high school and I was doing a lot of theater, um, I got the lead role my senior year. We did a version of Dracula that kind of swapped the roles of Mina and Lucy around a little. So and I was like, this is really exciting. I get to do the lead role. And pretty much every, everything I got to do was super passive. I got to like sit there and get munched on. And it was really, I don't know, it just wasn't fun. And then I look in the audience during the climax of the show and there's uh, Van Helsing is just staking all these vampires. And there's blood packets flying on the wings of the stage. And I was like, oh yeah, this is, a lot of fun being the female characters in this show. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one moment where I was just kind of thinking, I don't really want to go into acting and theater. I would rather be writing stories. And yeah, that was that was one moment that I can really remember vividly. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, well, I'm I'm uh, very happy that you uh, went to London, and I'm very happy <laughs> that you. <laughs> ended up making the decisions you made because we've got this really fucking fun book. Like I said, it's got kick-ass characters, female characters on the cover looking awesome. And the whole book is just full of great care. The whole book, the whole cast is great. And thank you so much. Yeah. It's we really have a great to hear. Um, and I, it's just a really fun, it's just, it's such a fun, this, this is not an insult, like an inconsequential book, meaning that like, it's just a moment in time for them. And it's like, you don't have to like wrap your head around uh, how like our Riven's decision is going to affect the galaxy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it, yeah this isn't Star Wars. Sure. Yeah. This isn't Star Wars fighting the M- Luke fighting the empire. You know what I mean? Like this is, this yeah, is a nice, exactly. this, this it's is not a, like a big fantasy. Right. The whole world is at stake. It's just them, her sister, the city. And it's a crew. really, yeah. It's sort of like a slice of life idea, right? It's really cool that way. And that's, and, and it's big, huge epics, of course, are great. We all love those, but once in a while, God damn it. It's nice just to read like a character story with a bunch of fun characters. And the best thing about that is too, is that we get to all have our favorites and, you know, it's like, especially because you have this love triangle thing going on. And of course there's going to be, you know, the people out there that want these two to stay together and the people out there that want these two, and you're going to have teams and all sorts of stuff. And that's, and that's the fun stuff is, <laughs> and that's the fun stuff. You've probably already heard a little bit of it. I'm sure. From, from, a little from, bit. Yeah. 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 For sure. But uh, and that's not even a spoiler, right? Like Ty is sort of the other one in the mix. I already mentioned that anyway. So there's going to be lots of like, mm-hmm. you know, like Ty and Asa fans and then Asa and Riven fans. And, uh, it's, it, it'll be fun. And Diego is fantastic. Samir's great. What a great, Samir is such a great, they're all great. You really have a nice, great, nice fun cast. And I can't wait. It'll be fun to see people sort of pick their favorites and that'll be fun for you as well. And of course, as, a, cos- as a cosplay fan, hopefully one day, you know, you get, you're standing in front of a, a ribbon or, <laughs> you know, well, I, mean, I do have, day. Hey, if you look on my Instagram, I do have a friend who did a ribbon cosplay and she's really amazing. So oh. you should check that out. I'm, it's not my cosplay Instagram. It's my, um, Claire oh. went author, author Instagram. Is it recent or is it, I got to scroll away it's down. It's very recent. Yeah, it should be. Oh, the, with the black background there. Yeah. There she is. Oh, that looks fucking good. Right on. Who's that? Who's that doing that? Uh, she's my friend. Uh, she goes by H. Rosie or H. Rosie. cosplay. Yeah. Which gun is she holding? Um, technically that's supposed to be Vadugo, but okay. it's not like purplish. <laughs> it should, it's silver, but I'm pretending right. it's silvery purple. Okay. People understand that when they read the book. Uh, Riven has two <laughs> guns and she's named them and it's awesome. Um, listen, Claire, thanks so much. Uh, I'm so happy that, like I said, you made the life decisions that you made. Uh, I don't know if you were always happy with them, but I'm glad you're here talking to me because this book is a lot of fun. I think I can't wait for it to come out. People are going to love it. And, uh, Claire, thank you so much. Please try and get some sleep the night before. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know that's easier. No, this is a lot of fun. Easier said than done. But yeah, have a great launch and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. There you have it. Another episode of Everything is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Claire for taking the time to chat with me. If you're looking for a fun, inconsequential slice of life sci-fi romp, City of Shattered Light is just for you. I recommend it. It's out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to clairewind.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to Cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now.